This is From Paint to Purpose, a podcast by FCP Services, where we believe people drive growth. Exploring topics related to company culture, leadership, and construction industry insights. Now your host, John Barsness. But I think that whole idea of sacrifice, what are we willing to sacrifice? And it's not it's not both and, right? Oh, I want to sacrifice this, but I'm not going to. I'm going to actually add things to to my my plate as opposed to subtraction. Because a lot of sacrifice means you're subtracting something that you've added as value to so, at some point, and you're willing to do that. I had this conversation with a, a leader recently that was, we were talking about finding, you, you spoke uh, just a minute ago about this. We only have, we all share the one thing every day, which is time, right? And, and that's equal. And so we were talking, he was, he was talking to me and lamenting uh, about how he was struggling. He wanted to be maximize his time better every day. And so I asked a lot of questions around it and he says, yeah, I wish that, that I was one of those people that could survive off of four or five hours uh, of sleep a day. And I said, Okay, but let's assume for a minute that since you're saying this, you can't, then why going down that route is actually going to be, do you think it's going to be beneficial? Well, I just admire people who do that. Look how much more they can get accomplished. And I'm like, well, that might be true. But if you can't do that because your body doesn't allow for it, you're actually going to be less effective when you're trying to do this. It was, and, and similarly, I talked to a person who was like, well, I, I'm, you know, I, I'm going to get up earlier every day. Uh, Okay, are you a morning or night person? Well, I'm a night owl. Well, then don't get up earlier every day because <laughs> that's never going to work. And so it's this idea again that they that people go, well, somebody else did that, so I'm going to take that as my own, yeah. right? And that yeah. so, so self awareness, man, self awareness is so huge. Uh, I try and be really careful of not always telling people, hey, this is what I do and this is what you should do. I, that that would make me a terrible coach. I, I would not tell people to do what I do. Now, sometimes when people say, hey, what do you do? I will tell them, but I'm often like, eh, you maybe shouldn't do this. Like it, you, the, the most important thing is to understand who you are and what your, you know, your MO is. And then Usually it's work really hard in the opposite direction because you're always going to be pulled back in where your typical mode of operation is. So if you're a grinder, you don't ever really have to worry about spending too much time with people developing relationships in your family. Don't ever have to worry about that. You're going to feel that you're doing that, but you're not you're probably not even scratching the surface of how much time you should be spending with people in your family and developing relationships and investing in people. Now, if you are a people person, you're going to need to feel like you're grinding way, way too much. And you just have to know which type of person are you and then hedge against that. And you know, and that applies in, in so many different areas of, of life. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's this self-awareness piece that, you know, you gotta, you gotta take the time and this is where ego can get in the way. I would love to believe that I'm the most 
sociable, likable human being on the face of the planet. That's just complete bullshit. And, you know, and it, 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 it's always funny. Sometimes in these settings, I have people that are like, oh, my God, I'm sure that everyone just loves you. And I'm like, come to my country club and see how much of a polarizing figure I am. And I can name 10 people right now that despise me as a human being. Like, I'm polarizing. I don't mean to be. I've worked really, really hard to not be. But I have to understand that I can't say something that somebody else can say because if I say it and I can say the exact same words, but based off of my MO, it's going to hit differently than when this person says it. This person can get away with it. I can't. And I have to recognize that and have that awareness about who I am and what my strengths are and what my weaknesses are and especially what my weaknesses are because I'm pretty good about knowing what my strengths are, but I would argue one of my biggest assets is actually the self-awareness of knowing what my big weaknesses are and then I'm trying to hedge around that. In, In my business, I've always done that of trying to surround myself and quite frankly, keeping people away from me in certain areas, because if they interact with me, I'm going to just be myself, but that's going to come across in a way that I'm not trying to come across, but I just know that's how other people are going to interpret that. I'm on the autism spectrum. I communicate in ways that are more direct and blunt, and I happen to be good with words. So sometimes they can be a little samurai sword-ish. And I don't even, it's not even, I didn't even used to think about it of like, why did that bother that person? You know, like, they don't like me? Yeah, they consider you abrasive. I don't feel abrasive, but it doesn't matter how I feel. I have to take other people's perspectives into account. I have to be asking other people, hey, what do you think about this? Hey, how do I do handle these situations? What do you think my strengths and weaknesses are here? Take the blinders off. Actually look at yourself with clear eyes and ask other people and get that feedback to know like, hey, what do I actually bring to the table? And don't ask people that are just going to tell you what you want to hear. Get people that will actually tell you the truth. You know, Try and find people that will tell you the truth with, you know, love and grace, but you need to know the truth or else you're going to live in this weird bubble and and then you're going to be frustrated because, you know, I mean, if I didn't have self-awareness, I would be one of the most miserable human beings around because I know that I can do this type of stuff and people think that I'm so special. And then I go into normal life and I have so many frustrating interactions. How do you how do you hold these two things together? Oh, well, you have a gift over here and a skill and something that you've worked really hard at and an anointing on your life and things like that. And socially, you're gonna have to work really, really, really hard. It's gonna be the most unnatural thing ever. And you just have to accept that and you know, and in having labels now, I, I don't love labels, but when I found out I was on the autism spectrum, it was like, oh yeah, this, a lot of things make a lot of sense now. A lot of things make a lot of sense that didn't used to make sense. You know, like, why did my brother always say like, why can't you just be normal? 
Because I'm not normal. <laughs> like, I'm not trying to not be. Right. But I'm just not. And I can't fake it. And I've tried to learn some skills and things and I'm better than I used to be. But like at the end of the day, like you have to have that self-awareness or else you're just going to make yourself and a lot of other people around you miserable. So that's why Amber answers a lot of things for me because Amber is sweet as can be and can communicate in ways that people find a lot more enjoyable. (laughs) Well, and I think that whole idea of self-awareness though does become the ability to sort of tamp down everybody's ego because we all have them. You know, this is the other argument I often have with, with leaders is, well, I don't have an ego, John. Okay. <laughs> Let's face it. We all do on some level. Uh, and that's a part of our human nature and it's how we've been designed and built and, and, and how we've been created. Right. So, and that's the good part of who we are in many ways. Now the ego takes it to the extreme, which makes it a negative oftentimes. But I always tell people there's a difference between having an outsized ego and a good dose of self-confidence that's based on that ability for people to say, listen, I'm going to call you out. I The one thing I learned the hard way that you talked about a little bit of understanding ourselves and surrounding ourselves with the right people it took me a long time for for me to realize that the that the more influence or key decisions I had to make in an organization, whether it was as a business owner or a CEO or whatever it was, the less people were actually telling me the truth <laughs> because they were more worried about. And yet that was something that was hard for me because I'm like, well, why wouldn't they? Because I'm very direct and I am one that just I will. Unfortunately, I will tell people sometimes the truth that that I don't intend it to be hurtful, but it will come across that way because I just don't know how to behave in any other way than to say, this is what I'm seeing and feeling or expressing. And here's the facts around it. I'm highly objective yeah. that way. And so I would like, well, why can't people do that to me? And then somebody came alongside me and said, oh, John, let's just understand this. It's why people say that the loneliest spot in an organization is at the top because there is often this this feeling anyway that nobody's actually telling you what you what you need to hear they're telling you what you want to hear and so mm-hmm. i've always found now that i want to surround myself with people who will tell me the truth will close my door mm-hmm. and say look look me straight in the eye and stop being a jackass because and here's why you're being a jackass just stop doing it mm-hmm. i actually appreciate that more than most people will believe me when I say that. I don't want to hear it, but I do need to hear it. And I think that's one of those pieces that as we're trying to unpack some of these key pieces that you uh, unpack in your in multiple books, that's a big piece of this is that self-awareness that is driven by and willingness to hear feedback from people that is going to help us become whatever it is we're trying to become and not be in that bubble uh, as you described it. I want to pivot a little bit as you in your book, um, Win in the Dark, which I, by the way, was one of my favorites of yours. Uh, it, it really, it struck a chord on many levels with me. One of the pieces that I really loved was this idea of turning what ifs into even ifs. And, and I want you to kind of unpack this a little bit because I think a lot of people will say, but John, if I'm actually thinking about those what ifs, that means that I'm preparing 
for the what ifs. And I would say there's probably some truth to that. But are you also then, as you point out, negatively creating the visualization for yourself because you're so fixated on all of the rabbit hole trails of what ifs that you're not actually going to go, okay, but what ifs happen all day long to us? It's really about even if this happens, now it puts it back into the realm of control. So unpack that, I guess, for our, our, our listeners. Yeah. So the first thing that I would say about it is that I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing to look at the what ifs. It's the issue becomes if the what ifs uh, become detrimental to you executing and stop you from executing or stop you from executing as quickly as you should. And so it's just it's just shifting from, well, what if what if this doesn't work out? Well, even if this doesn't work out, if you know that it's what you should be doing, then you need to do it. What if, what if I, you know, what if this fails? Great. Then wouldn't you want to fail faster and learn more and then be able to grow from that? Just shifting all of whatever your what ifs are to even if this happens. And again, this is where it becomes so important under the being versus doing that and the, the, being versus an outcome and the process versus the outcome and the controllables versus the outcome. Because if we're, it doesn't matter. Well, what if this happens, even if this happens, I'm still going to do a, B or C I'm going to be a, B or C. Um, and just shifting that mindset because so many people in my experience of working with people, the what ifs, are, are not caution signs on the path to mastery, they're stop signs. And or they're a road closure is probably an even better uh, visual metaphor for that is that it's road closure, turn left, turn right. And that's whenever I think that it becomes very scary because if it was, well, even if this happens, <laughs> I'm going to do this, then then that's where it really is a caution of, I know this is a possibility. I know that I could fail. I know that this could not work out. I know that there could be obstacles that come up. I know that there could be issues. I'm still going to move forward with what I believe that I'm supposed to be doing. Whatever that dream is that God's put in my heart. You know, the way I sign Chop Wood Carry Water is I hope this story encourages and inspires you to become relentless in the pursuit of what sets your soul on fire. I don't tell you what should set your soul on fire, but you know, that thing that sets your soul on fire. Now, I may ask you if it's the most beneficial thing. You know, if you tell me that what sets your soul on fire is something crazy and you know not helpful to humanity and society that's that's different but you know most of the time those those dreams that are in our our heart and what sets our soul on fire we've known for a very long time that's the thing that we should be doing but all these what ifs get in the way and then there's always some you know kid in Africa or a kid that came from the projects or came from the trailer parks or didn't have the resources, had to, you know, commute six hours one way, you know, and worked four jobs. And there's always somebody who had less resources, who had more obstacles. And in spite of that, chose to keep acting, chose to keep pursuing what set their soul on fire against all the odds. 
Because again, at the end of the day, it's not about what you're achieving, it's who you're becoming in that process. And if you do that for long enough, then the results are gonna fall out. There's gonna be some pretty cool stuff that comes from that. I actually, there's a, there's a good chance we haven't talked about this. You probably don't know this, but I've pretty much been retired for the last three, three and a half years. And, um, and I think I'm going to go and do fashion school, um, which most people is something they wouldn't expect me to do, but I love fashion. always have. And I've tried dabbled in trying to create some clothing line pieces and stuff like that. And there's just aspects of it that are frustrating because I don't know how to do the technical thing. Like I don't write every element of my books anymore. I come up with the titles. I come up with the themes. I come up with the storylines. I, I do a lot, but I don't, I don't start to finish write them. I always have, I outsource some of that. Now, at the end of the day, I have to sign my name to that book and it's my name that, that goes out there, but I'm not, I'm not doing every single piece of that the way I did in the beginning. And that's kind of what I would like to learn about fashion and making clothes. And so I wrote an essay to uh, get into FITM and I haven't submitted it yet, but you know, the questions that they ask are like, what are your goals and aspirations? <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I'm going to do the best. First of all, I hate writing essays. I hate that. I didn't write my master's thesis at Duke. You know, I told the director I was going to create an organization that changed the world instead of write a paper that sat on somebody's desk and collected dust. And um, they thought I was crazy and I probably was. And I may have done what I set out and said that I was going to do. But so I wrote this essay and, and, and I talked about that of like, I know this sounds crazy, but I have no clue where this is going to take me and I don't need it to take me anywhere. I just think it's going to be a really cool experience and I want to be around creative people. I want the creative stimulation and I know it's crazy in our outcome-based world to not have a goal or an aspiration, but guess what? That's all I've done my whole life. When I didn't write my master's thesis, everybody told me I was crazy. When I skipped scholarships to law school, people told me I was flushing away you know, my life. And it's all kind of worked out for me. I've had some really cool experiences that have happened along the way. And so I said, I'm like, just like a good Hollywood script, I don't know where this is gonna take me, but I'm excited to find out. And, you know, and, and that's the thing of when you can, when you can let go of those outcomes, and just immerse yourself in the process of stuff that you love to do and the people that inspire you. And then I can even hear in my head, well, that's really convenient, Joshua. You know, not everybody has those opportunities. The Dream Center, still taking applications. You live there, you serve there, you have a place to sleep, you have food that they provide you with. There's there's always these options out there And, but most of the time we're just not willing to make those sacrifices, you know, again, living, sleeping in the closet of a gym, that's a sacrifice. So I I think the last topic I do want to talk about is around what your viewpoint is on the things that you talk about and the idea of risk and risk taking as it relates to if you're willing to sacrifice certain things to make your dreams a reality, if you're willing to work that hard, 
what what would you say to people who who say that's great we hear you but i am so afraid of making uh, taking a risk you know you just t- described this idea of you setting off in this this other grand adventure of of fashion uh and for some, they would look at it and say, well, yeah, great, Joshua, you've been successful by all of these measures, if you will. You have the ability to do that. And there is some argument to be made on that. I, I've, I hear it all the time as well because I've, I've had some success based on the world's view of, of things that I can take, I can do things that, I pro- that others may not be able to or I wasn't able to do 25 years ago. But talk to us a little bit about risk as it relates to this idea of the process of becoming great, whatever great and success looks like for what you define it as, right? Yeah. So I don't know who said it, but I I honestly believe that the greatest risk is playing it safe. And we've never lived in and through a time with greater opportunity out there that there's, um, you know, so many of the gatekeepers are gone. If you're good enough, people will find you. If you're good enough and you hit publish, people are going to find you. If you are willing to get in the arena and um, get (laughs) shit thrown at you and and get down and get dirty and do the work and be in the arena, um, it's the greatest meritocracy that we've ever seen. And um, it doesn't mean that there's still not tons of challenges for people of color or different, you know, races, sexes, orientations, all of those things, genders. Um, there's obviously still all of that. And yet still, there's never been a, a greater time with greater opportunity that's ever existed uh, in the world. And so I, I think whenever I, I got cut off, what I was talking about kind of leads right into this. Of, yeah, I, I could hear people in, in, in the background going, oh, it's so easy to say, you know, be relentless in the pursuit of what sets your soul on fire. That's so easy for you. And I'm like, again, Dream Center, still taking applications, live, serve, roof over your head. They feed you. It's not great food, but there's a situation. I was willing to, you know, live in the closet of a gym. And, you know, there's, there's, there's options out there. There's almost always an option. You just may not want to take that option. And oftentimes what happens is we get trapped in these cycles of uh, material things, whether that's, I want, you know, I want it to look a certain way. So I want to have a nice car. I want to have a nice apartment. I want to, you know, be able to go out to eat. I want to do, you know, whatever it is. And and I'm not going to tell you that those things are wrong or not to do those things. But, but if, there's something that you sets your soul on fire. If there's something that is going to give you that joy and that fulfillment that your regular nine to five doing something that you don't like, but that, you know, gives you a cool apartment and a cool car, you're making a sacrifice. Some people are just going to make different sacrifices. And so, yeah, I, there's, you know, there's risk involved in, in everything. And, and I'll, again, going back to self-awareness, I have a incredibly high tolerance for risk in most areas of my life. Now, I'll also say that people come to me all the time and say, you could be doing A, B, C, D, E, F, G to optimize your business or get more sales or do this or that. And I'm like, 
Cool. I'm good. Not my thing. Um, I'm in a different place in my life. Um, I kind of know what my, what, where I like to take risks and where I don't like to take risks. You put me on a 60 foot waterfall. I'm probably going to jump off of it. Uh, you know, I'm going to do stuff that, that looks very crazy. I've, I've said many times I'm okay dying, jumping off a waterfall. I, I believe that the, you know, that the, the greatest risk really is playing it safe and that, that the purpose of life is not to arrive safely at death. I, I'm willing to take big risks when I believe in, in something, um, because I think that the, the, the greatest risk is, is playing it safe. And again, you've got to know yourself and maybe that means you got to take some baby steps of risk and learn to grow in that area. Um, and maybe you need to take less risk. I don't know. It's, you know, it's again, it's having those levels of, of, of self-awareness, but you know, it's, it's interesting the way things have played out over the last, especially three years. You know, I've been yelling when I was still speaking, yelling from the rooftops about learning to think, act, and execute like an entrepreneur, no matter where you're at in life. And people were like, that's, I've got this nice, comfortable, safe job in the pandemic. Hit. Yeah. How's that nice, safe, comfortable job now? Not so nice and comfortable for a lot of people. And if you listened five years ago and started to think, act like an entrepreneur, you would have been in a much better position. I always had uh, coaches that would call me, people that were serving in coaching roles call me. That shows you how long I've been out of this. People that are serving in, uh, in, in coaching roles call me after Black Friday or the day, you know, whatever day it is when they get fired. And I'd be like, I have been saying for years, become a resource hub and become the type of person that if you were to ever get fired, people would be banging down your door to hire you. But what have you been doing? Oh, I got to keep all my secrets in here. I can't give out these cheat codes. <laughs> no. I need to share this. Now, all of a sudden, you you start to see it, and I love it. You know, Draymond Green's got his own podcast. You've got these guys that are starting to, to branch out and, and, and share their perspectives on stuff and build their own things. And guess what? You're a lot more powerful when you built it. Yes. It's a lot harder to take it away from you. I'm pretty hard to cancel or fire. <laughs> You could try, and after today, some people might come after me. But guess what? I've been doing my own thing for a long time. And the other thing that I know is I was really content, and I had a lot of joy when I lived in the closet of the gym. I had a lot of joy and contentment when I lived with my mom for five years while I was building. I've slept on Skid Row. I, I know what it's like. I, I'm not saying I want to go back. I don't like camping. When people ask me to go camping, I'm like, I've been poor. Why would I want to go camping? <laughs> I, <laughs> that sounds crazy. I, adventure, sure, but I want to sleep on a nice bed. Um, 
but I know what it's like to sleep on concrete. I know what it's like to only have $5 to put in my gas tank. I know what it's like to be sitting in a parking lot, eating turkey out of the package, thinking about, man, this story is going to be cool to tell one day. I know what that's like. I'm not afraid of that. Well, and I think, but most people are so afraid of that risk. They're so afraid of those things that, that, that it becomes the boogeyman in the closet. And it's like, man, if you would just actually experience it and realize like, you're okay, you're good. Then that thing will stop being so scary. Right. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's great. So the last, I, I, I do this often on this podcast. I always say I got one more area to cover and then I got another one. So the, this one is the last one though. Talk to us about that true mental toughness that you talk about in your writing uh, and what those, what that looks like for people, right? So as they're, as they're describing it and you've got those, um, those, those five key points of that true mental toughness. So treat people really, really well, give your very, very best, uh, have a great attitude, be unconditionally grateful, which I love by the way. And even when you think your circumstances suck, which I think is, uh, again, <laughs> again, let's, let's experience the world maybe in a pandemic and understand what that might look like for some people. Um, yeah. I'm not one of them by the way, cause I, I'm a huge introvert. So not getting out in public with everybody and not giving hugs and handshakes. Love it. (laughs) So, uh, but talk to us a little bit about what that true, where that true mental toughness uh, component came from for you. Well, it kind of came from being at UCLA and, you know, being so surrounded by John Wooden and his philosophies and, and things like that. And, you know, he said that I've never met somebody that can describe for me what you can do. That's more than your best. And sadly he passed away about a year and a half before I got there. He, uh, had worked and mentored Corey close who I, um, you know, worked for and and helped coach in, in certain aspects. Um, and so I, I didn't get to meet him, but I think he would have really liked true mental toughness because I think that I actually did articulate something that he would have gravitated towards. And, um, you know, I just, I just always heard people talking about mental toughness and mental toughness. And, and I was like, do you even know what that means? (laughs) Like, it's just this like catchy phrase that doesn't actually mean anything. And so that's why I coined that phrase. And the thing about true mental toughness, have a great attitude, give your very, very best, treat people really, really well, have unconditional gratitude, even when your circumstances suck. Um, Those are all virtually 100% controllable. Yet, that is a ridiculously high standard. The most ridiculously high standard. And one that I will openly say that I fail at a lot but I think it's a much more valuable, worthy endeavor than some arbitrary outcome-based goal that we think is going to do something for our soul and our, our, our mind and our prestige that it most of the time can't even do. So we sacrifice what truly matters, which is true mental toughness at the altar of potentially winning. That's the crazy part. It's it potentially winning. We don't even sacrifice it knowing like I made this deal with the devil. If I sacrifice this, I'm going to win. I'm going to get all this stuff. You don't even know that you're going to get that. And even if you do get it, you've seen enough examples in history that have shown you that it's not going to give you what you think that it's going to give you. 
and you sacrifice it at the altar of potential. Whenever everybody wants somebody on their team that embodies the characteristics of true mental toughness. Everybody wants a person that's leading them to have that. Everybody wants people that are uh, underneath them and following them to have those characteristics. Everybody wants a significant other that has those characteristics. Everybody wants friends that have those characteristics. Everybody wants family that have those characteristics. So why not focus on those, develop those, develop things that are gonna make these other people around us wanna actually be with us, be around us. Like, it just makes more sense. Instead of chasing these arbitrary based outcome goals, and if we focus on true mental toughness, like C.S. Lewis said, there's a really good likelihood that the secondary things are gonna not be suppressed, but they'll increase, because guess what? Giving your very, very best is really, really hard. It's really hard. Treating people really well, having unconditional gratitude when you're sucking is really, really hard. Having a great attitude when the refs make really bad calls or you get bad bounces or something happens in the marketplace that you can't control, it's really, really hard. It's also really helpful at getting the things that you want. Yeah. That's the irony. Of you just don't sacrifice what matters in the process. Yeah. Well, I will say this. I had an opportunity. I was blessed to actually spend uh, quite a bit of time with John Wooden. I lived out in Southern California for many years. And uh, because of my background in basketball and coaching and, and others, I had the opportunity to, to be introduced to him by, uh, by people who I had known uh, and so I will tell you, knowing him and getting a chance to learn from him, he'd have loved you. Uh, he would have found you to be everything that he talked about every single day. So just know that even though you didn't get a chance to intersect with him, I can tell you having sat at his feet and learned from him, um, you would have been, he would have loved you. So that would have, uh, hopefully that uh, is uh, is life-giving for you as well, but Appreciate that. Thank well, you. Well, I appreciate you being on uh, and uh, we'll be looking forward to hearing about all the things that you're going to be uh, working on here in the future. Um, look for a few people to be coming your way with those questions, though, because we just kicked off the uh, book challenge here in our organization. So cool. awesome. All right. Thank you, Joshua. We appreciate it. Thanks for listening. To learn more, visit fcpservices.com. Until next time, remember, people drive growth.